welcome to the Sausage of Science. I'm Chris. And I'm Kara. And this is a podcast for the Human Biology Association. And today we are doing our short format series where we talk to some folks who have recently published in the American Journal of Human Biology. Um, I'm going to let Kara introduce our authors today, and then I have a few questions for them. Yeah, so we actually have two people who are literally in the room with me right now, which has been so rare for this podcast. Uh, we have Dr. Lauren Schell, and then we have Elizabeth Holdsworth, who is his graduate student, and they have a recent publication in the September issue, I believe, of um, AJHB uh, called Maternal Infant Interaction as an Influence on Infant Adiposity. And we're, we're, we're not pretending that we're anything other than we are here, so, so full disclosure, Larry was my advisor in grad school, so lovely to have this opportunity to have him on the other side of an, uh, of an interview. And Liz is now in the shoes I was in several years ago, almost a decade now. Holy crap. So Holy crap. thanks for joining us, guys. Our pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the objectives here is to give uh, new researchers in the Human Biology Association uh, a, a forum. And so I want to start off, Liz, just by having you tell us a little bit about this article. Give us a summary. Sure. Okay. Um, so we were looking at how maternal infant interactions might influence infant adiposity and weight at about 12 months of age. So we were looking at mothers who were living in Albany in the 90s. So this, this research was uh, collected in the 90s, 1992 to 1998, and specifically looking at how her interaction with her infant might influence adiposity and, and weight gain in her infant. So what we found is that in these very specific measures of how she interacts with her infant, poorer scores on some of these scales related to greater adiposity and, and weight gain. So in particular, her response to how distressed her infant is or how, how good she is at fostering emotional growth. Uh, so these very like emotional responses to her infant, uh, the worse they were, the more adiposity, the more fat and weight her infant had. So yeah, so I was, I was really trying to look at how stress and especially how mothers might exacerbate or ameliorate stress in their infants might relate to weight gain uh, because there's been a lot of research looking at how stress might relate to weight gain, but it's generally been in the opposite direction, right? So more stress related to less weight gain. But here we're seeing a very a very different pattern. So I think it, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think it lays the the groundwork for some interesting future research. And Liz, could you say exactly when this weight gain is for the infants? Is it actually during infancy, or are you seeing it a little bit later on during growth? Yeah. So this is all we're looking at outcomes just at twelve months of age. So uh, all of these measures are at twelve months of age. But we do have this is a longitudinal study. So we do have data that we would like to look into in the future for weight gain throughout, I think up until 18 months. Yes. Yeah, 18 months. 24 for some. Okay. Yeah. So I have follow-up questions, a couple follow-up questions, but first I wanna ask Larry, because 
this was a study that I got to clean data on many years ago. So I'm, I'm interested in the study in general, how you collected the data and this uh, having data sets available uh, for this type of research, because my memory of this is a study about lead, pregnant women, infants, and lead. So we're using this study for something different. And that says there's a lot of, there was a lot of great information collected and there are more uses for this. Could you tell us a little bit about how these data were collected and what this data set has in it? Sure. This, um, this project was actually a collaboration myself, an epidemiologist in the Department of Health who had done work on lead many years earlier. And what I tried to do in this collaboration was to be very anthropological and holistic and to collect information on uh, early child growth and development, prenatal development and early postnatal development. And being an anthropologist and a specialist in growth and development, I saw that there are a lot of things which could pertain to the development of the infant. So we ended up collecting a, a lot more information than is, than is typical in a traditional epidemiologic study, which is usually pretty focused. We have a lot of, uh, for our study of lead and cognitive development, lead and physical development, we had a lot of corollary variables. And some of those corollary variables were collected in such detail that they actually can be independent variables, which is what Liz has done with, with in this analysis. The, the data themselves were collected by, by nurses and by uh, graduate students and by professional psychologists, mm -hmm. depending on what, what, the, uh, what the variable was. That One of the ongoing, I'm sorry. That answer your question? Yeah, yeah. One of the ongoing conversations that that I've been having with colleagues is the status of data that we collect with the grand intention of doing more with, and then it it rots in the ethics of collecting so much data and putting such a burden on participants for purposes that are never followed up on. So I think it's it's admirable that not only has this been done, but frankly, I've seen some of the data that people have collected and that it's in a condition to be analyzed in additional ways. That's, that's great. Yeah, I, I agree. agree with your point of view about the ethics situation. I'm very pleased that I've been able to have students get involved with these data over the years, well beyond the, uh, the original you know, goals and intellectual goals and, and knowledge intentions of the, the project as it was originally begun. Yeah, it would be a shame to uh, miss out on the opportunity to analyze any sort of study that is a longitudinal study in particular. Now that I have been trying to do research using existing data sets more frequently, having that longitudinal component is uh, still kind of rare. I mean, you know, there are places that certainly are doing longitudinal studies, but with the variables that you need, it, it is hard to, to get that. So it would be a shame to miss out on the opportunity to use that further. So Liz, given the, and actually either one of you could answer this. I have, I have a Liz question, but speaking uh, specifically to the paper, you mentioned, and I noted that this is in total contrast in a couple ways. Your findings are in contrast to what's out there but it's almost like you, you sort of hid the punchline. What does that mean for us? What's the, what contrast did you find and what do you think the implications of those are? Right, so I think this is, yeah, so this is significant because it is showing that these measures of like poorer emotional, psychological environment through the maternal infant interaction is relating to increased adiposity and weight gain or at least weight, so just weight at 12 months. So that is different from what we've seen in the past. 
and even in other other studies that have been published somewhat recently. Yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess right now I don't have concrete answers as to why that might be. I think it does mean that we need to do, you know, additional research on maybe some other differences in the environment, differences in this population. This is a somewhat unique population because it is, well, one, it it is from the 90s and, you know, there have been pretty dramatic changes in weight in, in our population overall in the past few decades. So it might just be differences over time, but it could also be something that's happening, particularly in a very low socioeconomic status population, which which this is. So I think, you know, future research into maybe things that are happening more generally in, in the environment might be helpful. Yeah, thoughts. if I could add a little bit to that, I think, I think there are a couple of points here. One of them is that the influence of these social factors and, and diet are very context specific. And we're dealing with low SES, uh, disadvantaged moms in this sample. And uh, maybe some of the findings that have been found reported in other studies aren't with the same kind of sample or, or the same time period. And to tell you the truth, a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the situation has to do with uh, changing, uh, changing impact of changing programs, social programs, federal or statewide or countywide programs to support people in this situation. So it's, it's very context specific. But I think that, that a real important message from, from this work is that uh, fat is not just about food, all right? We're now knowing more and more that there are other factors that influence adiposity than just diet. And uh, we were able, because of the uh, breadth of variable collection in the study, to control for uh, dietary variables. And we had done dietary assessments in postnatal life twice for the infants and prenatal life. I think that we saw an effect here that's not about ingestion. Mm. And that, that fits in with more literature that's coming out, whether you're thinking about the microbiome or epigenetics. No, there's, there's more to fat than food. So several comments here lead me to the next question, which is for you too, Liz, as a grad student, what's next? Is there another paper to look at the 24-month data, or is there a potential follow-up to this population? Is this the direction you are going? Answer any of those that you feel is the lowest hanging fruit for you. So, so I do at some point want to get back into this data set and look at this longitudinally. I think that will be significant in, in hopefully new and interesting ways. So that's not the next step for me. So the next step for me is, is working on my dissertation project, which is trying to elucidate more of the influence of this you know, maternal infant interaction in early life and seeing what influences it might actually have on stress. Because my implicit connection here is that there is something happening along the lines of stress or emotional well-being that is influencing adiposity. But to make sure that is actually happening, I need to have some sort of indication that the infants are experiencing stress in some way. This is, this is a physical experience that's resulting in changes in adiposity and weight. My dissertation project is going to be looking at a new, a new population entirely. I'm collecting my own data, but it is going to be looking at how maternal stress, the stress that mothers are experiencing in the postnatal period, influence their infants. I'm looking at cortisol reactivity, so their you know, HPA axis development. And I'm expecting that to help 
start to connect some of what I think are, are the mechanisms between maternal infant interaction and then this, you know, weight gain or adiposity. Cool. Well, we look forward <laughs> to that. Kara? Can I also say if she didn't plug it herself, she got an NSF for it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Right on. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so uh, do, do either of you have anything to add or Kara, do you have any uh, qu other questions? Um, I'm actually curious what came out of the lead portion of this study, but maybe that's for another time or unless Larry can sum it up in like 30 seconds. <laughs> lead isn't good for you. <laughs> you did it in like How's a that? second and a half. <laughs> I have used this study innumerable times in my teaching. I can I can vouch for that. Having having read his papers to to look smart enough to get into that graduate program. That that was <laughs> that was the upshoot. Well, I want to thank both of you uh, for taking the time to talk to us today, and we look forward to seeing both of you at the meetings and to reading more of your work. Great, well, thank, thank you. Thank you very much, Chris and Carol. Before we go, we have just a couple announcements. Um, how should we start this? Well, let's just start. So, Kara. Yeah, yeah, believe it or not, we have a conference coming up in, what, just a little under two months at this I point. I don't know. Do you happen to know when that is? I do. I know when and I know where. Ooh, ooh. Right? Can Crazy. you tell me? Because I think I paid my, uh, a lot of money to go to this thing. So where am I going? Yeah, well, let's hope that your airline tickets match the dates that we're actually uh, going to be at the conference. I so have screwed that up before. <laughs> so, we will be having our annual Human Biology Association Conference, April 11th and 12th of this year right. in Austin, Texas. So I'm really looking forward to going to Austin. I've never been. Uh, neither have I, so this should be good. I don't think I've ever actually visited Texas to stay there other than a layover. So, this will be a new one for me. There are a few events at the conference we should probably tell people about as well, are there not? Tell me about them, Chris. Um, we encourage you to go online and buy your ticket in advance for our annual awards luncheon. And that is going to be, 20, I guess $22 in advance or something like that. And then the price goes up by 10 bucks if you don't get it by, I believe it's March 20th. I just had it up on my computer and I went looking for a different page and I lost it. So buy your tickets to the luncheon and support our students as uh, they vie for awards on posters and talks. So while we're on the subject of announcements, do, do you mind if I make an announcement on the HBA podcast about something for the biological anthropology section of the AAA? I'm sure if it applies to a good chunk of our members, which it likely does. Okay, uh, fair enough. I'm sure it's good. I am the program chair for the 2018 BioAnth section of the AAA, which means everyone who sends in an abstract and checks the bass box their abstract will be coming my direction and I'll be deciding on whether you are going to be sponsored by Bass and if you will be, if we can put together some cool sessions. I encourage everyone out there, one, to apply to present at the AAA, including you, Kara, who doesn't usually go to the AAA, but you should, and to consider uh, asking us to sponsor your section. And if we can find ways to co-sponsor with other sections, then we can actually host more events. I guess the thing I wanted everyone to know more about is we have student awards for presentations. And the way that we can give those awards is by evaluating students who are part of a special student session. So any student who submits 
a proposal independently to AAA and indicates that they want to be sponsored by the bass section, should email me at cdlynn at ua.edu. Nice. And where are those meetings this coming year? Oh, this coming year, they're going to be in San Jose, California, another city I've never been to. Ooh, San Jose in November. I bet that'll be nice. Yeah, I'm stoked. Yeah. Okay, do we have anything else? Oh, I wonder if there will be a March for Science this year in Austin. Ooh. Maybe we should uh, get in touch with some of the AAPA folks, because that's going to coincide again this year. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of cool events. I'm I'm starting to see the tweets and the emails uh, come through now. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right, All cool. Right, well, thanks for listening, everyone. All right, bye, Chris. All right, bye. Bye.